It's open to interpretation. Since the uh, collapse of the Afghan government last week, you've heard a lot of talk about what's going to happen to the people who helped the United States military for the last 20 years and how many of them should be welcomed as refugees, especially interpreters. They would seem like they should qualify with no questions asked. Well, that's not what Sean Parnell, a candidate for the U.S. Senate here in Pennsylvania, who, by the way, has been a guest here many times. That's not what he told Tucker Carlson last night. Um, the situation is urgent. and We have to get our people out of there before the Taliban takes us hostage. Look, uh, Tucker, I was in Afghanistan for 485 days, 85 uh, percent casualty rate in my platoon. Some of my men were wounded twice. Uh, we worked with an Afghan interpreter for, for over a year. He was on every mission with us. He was on every fight with us. And one day we got tasked with an observation post to watch infill routes from Pakistan into Afghanistan. Uh, my platoon that day rolled up onto the hill. We wondered why the Afghan villagers all around that hilltop were watching were watching the platoon. Uh, rolled up onto the hill. One of my trucks hit a plastic Italian TC-6 anti-tank mine. It wounded four of my soldiers seriously and killed somebody in my platoon. Uh, after that mission was over during our after-action report, um, we found out that our interpreter, who had been with us every step of the way someone who we thought was our friend we learned that he was working with an iranian ied cell in pakistan and coordinated the placement of that mine which killed one of my troops in, in a devastating attack tucker just because somebody just just because an afghan works with us and is friends with us does not does not actually mean they're safe to bring here and this is precisely why we cannot bring 30,000 unvetted afghan refugees to the united states of america it's an irresponsible policy and quite frankly I can't believe we even have to have this conversation. American citizens have to have the priority. They have, they, have they have to be the priority. Yeah, they're not, though. And something happens in the brains, particularly of these middle-aged Republican leaders. Their brains go soft. Low testosterone may be part of the cause. Yeah, so uh, it's not necessarily a no-brainer there. When we come back, we're going to talk to a guy who's been speaking to interpreters in Afghanistan the last few days, who have been, uh, these people have been holed up in their homes, wondering if the Taliban might be coming to behead them. Also, what's going on in our second half hour with blacks and their decision not to play baseball? Stick around. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. Offer valid through 831.21. All with 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsrustpittsburgh.com. That's windowsrustpittsburgh.com.
Here's a thought. You wouldn't wear your PJs to an important business meeting, right? So why would you wear your running shoes on a serious walk? You need footwear that was designed specifically for walking. And nobody on the planet makes walking shoes that can even touch Skechers Go Walk Styles, the world leader in technical walking footwear. Skechers are walking shoes specialists, and Go Walk has a variety of technical walking products that will show you what your walk has been missing. Like Go Walk Hyperburst with foam that's ultra lightweight with incredible rebound that helps propel you forward with every step. Or Go Walk Arch Fit with podiatrist certified arch support that gives your walk the comfort and support you need mile after mile. And not only do Go Walk Styles bring the tech, they bring the comfort. And with all the colors and designs you love in both easy slip-on and sporty lace-ups. Plus, they're even machine washable and surprisingly affordable. That's walking smart. So don't walk in shoes made for something else. Walk in shoes specially designed for walking. Skechers Go Walk. Find yours at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life. And he didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the Geek. Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft, breathable, but extremely durable. And Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. And Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. For a limited time, you'll get 50% off the Giza Dream sheets. You'll receive a set for as low as $49.99. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code STAG. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-716-8087. Use the promo code STAG. Go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code STAG. It's been tough talking to my doctor about constipation with belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. I finally laid all my symptoms out there and how they keep coming back. She said I may have irritable bowel syndrome with constipation, or IBSC. We agreed. It's time to try something different. Linzess or linaclotide is a prescription medicine that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives. It lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than 6, and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. There could be more to your story with IBSC. Visit a doctor in person or online. Say yes to Linzess. Learn more at linzess.com or call 1-800-LINZESS. Sponsored by Abbey and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. Well, we all know that lots of Afghans who helped out the U.S. troops have been hung out to dry by the... Uh, the big guy's world-class botching of the withdrawal that's still going on. Included among that group are lots of interpreters. And what's it like for them? Well, uh, you may not know it, but the Canadians have also left some of them out to dry. And Joe Warmington, a columnist for the Toronto Sun, has been in communication with some of them. And he joins us now. Joe, thanks for coming on the show again. Appreciate it. It's good to be here. Yes, it's a world crisis. And, uh, you know, I know that a lot of people aren't paying attention to it. But I'll tell you right now. There are people, families, and everything just wondering what, what knock on the door it's going to be, either the Taliban or someone saying go to the airport and get on a plane and, and come to safety. 
Yeah, how, how and from where have you been hearing from these uh, terps, as you call them, interpreters? Yeah, well, I've known, I've known a lot of them because I was there in 2011, and, you know, the interpreter that was my interpreter is still stuck there with his three kids. He also worked for the Americans and the British. He was a NATO kind of guy. He worked with the Canadians. And so, but I, and I, you know, I got involved with this project to try to get the interpreters here. And we've got, uh, I got, I helped get one here about five years ago, James Akam. And in this process, we've got nine or so here, but there's still obviously many, many more back there. And uh, so, yeah, I'm in touch with them. I mean, some of them I've written columns on TorontoSun.com. And the one I wrote uh, this morning was about how the guy, they were starving for two days. I mean, you know, you don't eat for two days. You kind of know it. And no water, things like that, because they were hiding. And his wife went over and got some bread, and it's just, it was just such a almost a biblical story about this bread bread saving their life, and you know have to sneak around behind the Taliban. One day they'll make movies on this, but right now it's just too serious uh, to you know to think about it in terms of that way. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you didn't hear it, but uh, at the opening of my show, I played a soundbite from Sean Parnell from last night. Um, he was over there as he was the commander of a platoon over there, and. Yeah. and um, he told Tucker Carlson last night about an interpreter that worked with him, and, yeah. he, and he said that the interpreter, uh, they, they got hit with an IED, and one of his guys Yo, got killed, again, four injured, and he said that they found out afterwards that it was the interpreter who uh, led them to the IED so that they would be, so they'd get blown up. So he said you can't that's what, necessarily yeah. trust them all just to come here, uh, either to Canada or the United States. Yeah, and, and we have the same problem even with Americans and Canadians that, that, that were over there. You know, it, it does happen, and we've you know, there's lots of cases, obviously, in bases and things like that where you see that. But it's absolutely true what Sean said. And you know, when I was over there in 2011, I met an American that was driving the Humvee, and he had uh, a wristband of six names on it. I asked him about it, and he said, "Well, those guys were all killed. They were all my my platoon." And I don't think it was an interpreter, but it was somebody, that, a fixer of some kind, Afghan who had turned on them, and, 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 you know, I think he came in and shot him up. It was a big story. I looked it up. It's probably in the files there. So, yeah, I mean, this is why why this is such a serious problem now, because, you know, we've known for a long time that this uh, drawdown was happening, and we've vetted in, in Canada, at least. I know Americans have done it, too. They've vetted, they have a list of who they believe to be, you know, obviously loyal, et cetera. You never really 100% know. But now that the Taliban are in charge of the gate, I mean, who's to stop a Taliban guy from taking all this paperwork that, you know, somebody going with the Americans, British, or Canadians, maybe go in and shave and throw on different clothing and say, here I am, you know? I mean, I don't know. It's, it, it really is an ugly thing, and it's, it's, it's just not how you do security, and it's very risky. But, you know, I, having said that, um, and I don't think Sean or Tucker were saying that it doesn't mean we don't bring people here, but we have to be really careful. Yeah, and and so uh, some more, in, um, just a little bit more about what what they're going through right now. Uh, your your story. Uh, well, yeah, I mean they're wait, they're waiting for flights. I mean, the Americans have got control of the base uh, and the uh, the sort of the airfield again. And so in Canada here, we're waiting for the during prime minister who and all that kind of stuff. But there's an election on here now, and um, you know, I, I mean, we got really bogged down with that passport issue when the outgoing criminal outfit that they called the Afghan government there that took $169 million allegedly out with them. They wanted money for passports for people that have never had passports. They're not, they're leaving there. They didn't need passports to come home. 
And that bogged it down, and I think that's happening here now. I mean, everybody's hoping there's going to be some sort of rescue missions. You know, the Canadian Air Force, while it's not the American Air Force, it's a proud Air Force. I mean, we go all the way back to World War One. You know, our guy shot down the Red Baron, you know, the rest of it. I mean, yeah. we, 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 can, we can tackle taking, you know, five or 600 people, Terps and their families out. That's about what we're looking at. And, and you know, the Americans will sustain the, uh, the airfield. But you can see in the, the videos, I mean, when there's people passing babies up, you know, over and that kind of thing, it's, it's really a very, very tricky, you know, insecure situation. And here's the other problem is that when you're negotiating with the Taliban, and you, you can see the, the kind of problem that President Biden has and, and, and also created for himself, is that, you know, you, you've got to now say, hey, guys, can you be nice to us and, uh, and yeah, let right. these people through, maybe clear, clear a path? I mean, you tell the Taliban to clear a path, they're liable to kill a lot of people. So it's, it's really, that was ugly. I mean, when I saw that thing with the airplane there and all the other images, I was sick at heart. And, you know, it's not like I didn't warn it. I know you warned it. You and I have talked about this over the summer uh, on text. Um, you know, we knew this was a potential a problem to, to you know to arise and sure enough it did yeah and um how do you, your friends who were there uh, how do they like their chances of getting out i don't know i mean i don't because they have to get through the taliban checkpoints and to into the airport and then have some either american or canadian probably american person say okay go on in and you know like what sean parnell said i mean that's a very real real risk uh too you know you don't know who's who and I mean, it's not how you would normally do business, that's for sure. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're, I mean, they're hoping and they're hope, we're all hopeful. I mean, we're all pins and needles here. We can't sleep uh, because, you know, in the case of my interpreter, I've known him since 2011. The people, you know, he's worked with all kinds of legendary journalists uh, in, in Canada and obviously some of our senior military people. People know this guy. And so, you know, he's, he's, he's trusted. Um, you know, and he's he's tried to get here for a long time. So, you know, and there's a number of people like that. So, you know, we're taking a chance. I mean, it's like uh, it is a risk. But at the same time, James Cam we brought here, and he's, his wife and his kids, and he's thriving. So, and there's many cases in the United States like that. I mean, this is this is true. So we can't get bogged down on how it could go wrong and maybe look also on how, you know, on the success that could come from it. And so it's, when we hear about the interpreters, they also have families. Uh, are yep. they are they going to be faced with the choice of leaving their families at home, uh, leaving them in Afghanistan and getting out uh, and hoping that they're, I, they'll be safe because they weren't working with the Americans or Canadians? I wouldn't take them unless they bring their families. I mean, it's not if they if they're going to leave their families back home. Then I mean, there's no way I'd let them on the plane. Would you? No. I mean, that's you know, it's like I, I don't know for sure. Uh, there are some single. Um, you know, men, uh, you saw all the people running along the plane, but there were wives and children on the tarmac further back. That was more of a photo op or, you know, a little bit of a photo op there yeah. as well. You can see people laughing and things like that. Like, it was it was a horrific scene, but especially when people climbing on the plane. But, um, no, I, I wouldn't let anybody that has wife and kids come on their own. Uh, everybody comes as a humanitarian mission. And, you know, the, the reason that Americans and Canadians and British are doing this it's not just because, you know, that it's out of the goodness of their hearts and to give them a great place to live. We owe it to them. Mm -hmm. Because when we went over there, you know, we went over there and we did the mission and without them. You know, I, the best analogy I heard, John, to describe the Afghan nationals like this, the, what they call the LECs, locally employed civilians, is that they are the merchant navy of that war. 
and that they did all the, the, the jobs that the Merchant Navy did. We don't win World War II without the Merchant Navy. We don't talk enough about it at all on, you know, on the, what we call Remembrance Day, your Veterans Day, things like that. And so I, I think that that's fair. But I'm sick at heart at the overall thing about the way we pulled out. Uh, I think that, you know, obviously you can't stay forever there. But at the same time, there has to be a really smart way to do it. This was not that, I'll tell you that. Well, your friend who you've t- been talking to in the last couple of days, who's he blaming right now? I don't know whether he's savvy enough to, 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 to be blaming anybody. I think he's just trying to take care of his three kids. I've got a picture yeah. of him. And, uh, you know, they're all hunked down, and you can see the fear on all their faces. I mean, it's just a beautiful family. And I've got numerous people like that. And all, all kinds of us here in Canada have got four or five, you know, people that were trying to help. And in the, in the United States of America, and particularly in around West Virginia and your places near some of those bases, uh, Fort Bragg and different places, there are a number of families working on this as well. The Americans did a much better job earlier to get people out. Uh, but now uh, we're counting, really, we're, everybody's counting on the Americans. And if the Americans decide to, to go, if they say, look, this is not working for us, just take one thing to happen. Uh, then it's, there's no ball game and, and, and no one's coming out. And what's the issue? You, uh, we're talking to Joe Warmington. He's a columnist for the Toronto Sun, and you can find his um, his piece. Wh- wh- where can they go online to find this, Joe? TorontoSun.com is the best place to go. And I, you know, I've written about this for many years, and some of that work is there. Okay. So um, uh, what's, what's the issue with the papers that... Uh, We'll get them out, and uh, but the same papers could also get them killed. That was an interesting angle that you had in your story. Well, what happens is that if the Taliban are going, they are going door to door. So you can't show that you work with the Americans or Canadians or British to the Taliban because they they have they call that a high value target, and you look really good to your commanding officer. It's your Taliban if you take out someone that work with the Americans or Canadians. So if you've got paperwork to say that, you know, that you've got an essence of visa to get on a flight if one goes and, you know, you have to wait. But if you you need to hide those papers because they're going to come into your house and they're going to put you against the wall and shoot you or maybe even rape your wife. All these things have happened, despite the fact that there are people that say it's not happening. It is happening. I mean, the Taliban are not good people. They're not going to become good people, no matter how much the media party tries to pretend that they are. They're not. And uh, and so that's what it is. So you, if if you get rid of those papers, you know, light them on fire or something, then you can't get on your flight. And you know, if they take the cell phones away, which is another thing that they're doing. I mean, you know, they want all that kind of stuff, cell phones and things like that. So just take it. You know, that's your lifeline. I mean, the barcodes and the different things that you you're going to need to get through that gate. You know, and, and you've been on these trips. Like whenever you go to American military base, uh, I mean, I've been all over the world to them and Canadians. You, it's hard even for a journalist to get through. Even though you've got, you know, I mean, I've I've stood there with American journalists that you see on TV every night that can't get through for a while. You know, as they work out the logistics of it and their paperwork and things like that. Can you imagine somebody you don't know who it is and where they've been and you know? So and don't forget in this thing too, John. There's all kinds of people in places like Kandahar and Herat and you know all the the different uh, battlegrounds, Panjway district, different things like that, Ashkargah. They're not getting into Kabul to get on the plane. They can't get out. It's all Taliban country now. So a lot of people are not going to get here. Um, I, I, if I were one of these Terps um, or anybody who was trying to get out of there, 
and I heard the press conference today by the uh, by the American military. Um, I wouldn't be feeling the least bit confident about getting out of there if I were not, unless I was already at the airport, because they're not. What gonna, did they say? I heard, what did they say? I didn't hear the, the press well, conference. Well, I mean, they were pressed by the media about their ability to go out beyond the airport, round people up, and you know, escort them yeah. to the to the uh, back to the airport. And they basically said, right now, we don't have the capabilities of doing that. We can't. We can't go out and get a thousand people and bring them back in here. So um, yeah, yeah. that means they're going to wait a long time. And uh, yeah, because the only the only way to get through is uh, hopefully some people have some cash and they can bribe somebody to get through. Um, you know, and hopefully, I mean, this is why this is so bad. I mean, you know, what should have happened? You haven't asked, but I'll tell you what should have happened was the minute that this thing was going south, the president uh, should have extended the, you know, the uh, the leave. Yeah. Uh, withdrawal date uh, for another month or something you know there's plenty of time to do that uh you don't have to do it in a hard way but you have to send a message but i I don't think people thought that the president would run out the door so fast like that i think they thought be around for a few more weeks but he wanted to get that 169 million out um you know what he's he is the, the the most evil person i've ever heard of because he's left all these other people in a lurch he's taken their money taking care of himself and uh, you know what I, I'm telling you that 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 is pure scum. Yeah, and um, it's how much are these li- the lives of these people that you know and the others over there affected by typical just government bureaucracy? You know, it's like going to the here in Pennsylvania to the Department of Motor Vehicles and thinking you're going to get out of there in, in 20 minutes. And you end up spending all day there, or going to the welfare office or any government agency. You get caught up in red tape. You would think that you would you would hope that that wouldn't be the case for people who's, you know, could be beheaded if it takes a little bit too long. Maybe they'd be able to speed things up, but apparently not. Well, red tape is never fun, and and right now it's all better control of that. So, you know, good luck. I mean, uh, you can see the, the the footage of the Taliban. A lot of these people are coming in from, you know, very kind of. Um, rural if that's the right word places i've been around the country and you know there are some some areas where people they had never been to Kabul, things like that they they don't you know it's not their fault i mean like uh they're, they're from a, a different kind of uh, background and and all that so they're but they don't know how to run a bureaucracy and things like that and, and here's the other problem the taliban have is that there is you know and they're they're backed by different governments i mean don't think they're not uh, the chinese met with them made a so-called peace deal about two weeks ago. And then, lo and behold, these guys, this guy's gone in no time with bags of money. I'm not connecting it. You can do your own connection if yeah. you want to. Uh, but, but you know, like it is just an interesting coincidence. There's other things like that. But, you know, the, the problem the Taliban have is that the people at the top end of it, they have this big dream about running this kind of caliphate kind of thing, almost like the Iran thing, and have this Islamic state and have it run like that. And then you've got these the kind of diaspora or the soldiers of it that are from the country that, you know, they, they, they don't have that kind of, uh, you know, forward thinking. They, you could see it in that CNN reporter when they were around her, you could just see the looks on their faces. I'm talking about Clarissa Ward, you know, the danger that she was in and, and she will be in if she continues to report there because, you know, this is, this is what they know. I mean, you know, it's, it's not some of these people that are coming from these places. I mean, you know, the, 
I don't know. I'm trying to say it gently, but you know what I mean. It's they, they wouldn't. AOC wouldn't like them, even though AOC doesn't say anything at all to help here. It's always about right. other people that you know. But we could sure use some help from Nancy Pelosi and AOC and some of these people that fight for women's rights. We need them now, and they're silent. Hey, Joe, I'm out of time. Uh, Joe Warmington, you can find his column at thetorontosun.com. And he spent time in Afghanistan, and he's been talking to interpreters who are trying to get out. It's really an interesting and a pretty sad story. Joe, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Hope to see you soon. Take care. Okay, take it easy. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. A COVID booster shot for all Americans. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy says studies show the vaccine's effectiveness against mild and moderate disease is falling. We are concerned that this pattern of decline we are seeing will continue in the months ahead, which could lead to reduced protection against severe disease, hospitalization, and death. The booster doses could begin the week of September 20th. Tropical Depression Fred is dumping heavy rains over the northeastern U.S. and threatening mudslides and flash floods in upstate New York after closing interstate highways in the lower Appalachians. Tornado watches in effect as Fred's center moves from West Virginia to Pennsylvania. As many as 14 possible tornadoes reported across Georgia and the Carolinas. On Wall Street, the Dow is down 140 points. The Nasdaq is up three. This is SRN News. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy! Back in the day, Pittsburgh cranked out a lot of steel. We helped build this country. Our steel went into the Empire State Building. The Golden Gate Bridge? Yeah, you'll find it there too. These days, we're about more than steel, but we're still producing something strong. You can see it in the eyes of our kids. That same resolve, that same blue-collar ethic forged in the fires of hard work and history. And one day soon, they'll help build this country all over again. We're Pittsburgh strong. We're AM 1250. The answer. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Writing an estate plan is one thing. Having the experience to administer the estate is something else. At Abernathy and Hagerman, estate administration isn't a side job, it's what we do. You have the same goals we all do, to protect your assets, to minimize taxes, and ensure your inheritance gets to the ones that you love. How you get there, that's specific to you. So let's talk. Hagerman Law, 
Legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WBGP Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. On the Parkway East outbound, a delay of about eight minutes from Boulevard of the Allies to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Inbound heavy 2nd Avenue to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Parkway West, you're seeing a little congestion outbound. Banksville Road to Carnegie. On the inbound Parkway North, heavy delays. Reedsdale Street down to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Crosstown Boulevard, a little volume delay inbound. Bigelow Boulevard down to Liberty Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. Flash flood watch remains in effect through this evening. For tonight, low clouds, humid with a passing shower, low 67. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, humid with a thunderstorm in a couple of spots, high 78. Tomorrow night will remain humid with partly cloudy skies in the evening. It'll be followed by low clouds late, low 65. Friday, mostly cloudy and humid with a thunderstorm in spots and a high of 80. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Um, as Chuck Knoll said a long time ago about his uh, running back, Sidney Thornton, uh, baseball has many problems and they are great. And there's no reason or time to, uh, to really go through the list right now. But one problem is the dwindling number of black players and what, if anything, can be done about it. The Washington Post has a major piece on the subject today. Uh, it's called The Nine. Jerry Brewer is a columnist at The Post, and he is one of the contributors. He joins us now. Uh, Jerry, good to have you back on the show. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. So uh, let, let's start with just uh, why it's called The Nine. Yeah, it's called The Nine because we wanted to do a piece about, um, historically, the black experience in baseball. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of playing off of... Um, you know, Major League Baseball decided to um, recognize the Negro League's uh, statistics um, as sort of uh, as sort of like a a reconciliation type thing. Yeah. And this is, you know, the the genesis of the idea was kind of rooted in that. You know, basically saying like all the all the issues aren't solved just by recognition. Like there's there's mm-hmm. another level here of really embracing. Um, the black athletes' comp- contribution to baseball through time, but then also a way forward to try to like encourage more to play. And so the nine uh, is a takeoff of the hometown nine, um, obviously, and and just uh, you know nine players on the field. We, we chose um, nine decades of black baseball players' experiences, starting with the oldest living uh, Willie Mays at ninety-one. I mean, at 90. Um, so the series actually starts at Willie Mays' 90th birthday. Um, and then it takes you through, you know, Mudcat Mudcat Grant representing, um, you know, players who would now be in their 80s and Vital Blue representing players who would now be in their 70s and going back to the 89 All-Star Game and Bo Jackson and then on to King Griffey Jr. and C.C. Sabathia, um, Bruce Maxwell, and uh, his his protest, and then Tim Anderson, and then last, it always it takes you back to it takes you to a teenage catching prospect named uh, Ian Mahler, 
uh, who was just most recently drafted in, in his desire to be a catcher. And there, there hasn't been a full-time black starting catcher in the majors, you know, since Charles Johnson. So um, that is where the concept came from, you know, nine stories from nine different eras, um, nine different decades of baseball that tell um, some of the triumphs, but also a lot of the hardships and where baseball still has a long way to go um, in making sure that, uh, that, that black, black players are appreciated and elevated uh, in the game. Well, it, 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 it also makes me feel old because I, I, uh, I saw Willie Mays play. He's the best player I ever saw. Um, and uh, I'm the same age as Vita Blue. So, I mean, I, I go back with all those players. Uh, you have old former players, and you mentioned even the young prospect. Is there one common theme you can point to for why black athletes just aren't choosing baseball the way they used to? Yeah, they don't feel like there's any place in the game for them. The game doesn't speak to them. Uh, you know, I think a lot, a lot of them, uh, you know, when you, it, it really starts to hit home in the series, uh, with, with, uh, Tim Anderson and just how, um, you know, it, it seems like he's just this renegade in the game because he's got this flair to him that harkens back to some, some players. Uh, you know, you think about Griffey, uh, in particular. I even think about Willie Mays to a certain degree, you know, because of just the flair that he played with, but, it's to another level um, with with uh, with Tim Anderson and, and, and the the bat flipping and the, the celebrations and such and like um, you know he feels like he's being almost criminalized in the game now because of the way that he expresses himself. Uh, well, um, you focused on CC Sabathia in the piece that you wrote for the project. Uh, he's a future Hall of Fame pitcher. I think I can say that pretty confidently. And and this quote from him headlines your piece. Um, it says, this sport is not for us, and we know that. Why did he come to believe that? Yeah, it, it, it really speaks to his experience. You know, CC is now like 41 years old. Um, so he comes from an interesting decade. Um, you know, the, the guys... Uh, in their forties now, you know, I mean, as old as like Tony Clark, who's like 48, 49, um, uh, to, to, uh, to the younger, you know, CC's on the younger end of that. Um, but they're still old enough to remember, uh, the Griffey's and the bonds and the Daryl strawberries and the Doc Gooden's and the Eric Davis's, you know, so on Bobby Bonilla, all of that. Um, they, they still remember a time when, when uh, there wasn't this this great dearth of, of black players in the game, and so like they grew grew up in the game and fell in love in the game, um, kind of having that representation, seeing themselves in the game, and then as they advanced in their careers, uh, they started being in a lot of situations the only one in the clubhouse, um, and they started feeling like the outsider in a lot of ways. And then they had to hear from other people like, um, your game's not hot anymore. Like black folks don't play baseball anymore. Um, you know, why are you playing this game type of thing? Um, which they love the game. And, you know, a guy like CC, like you said, like he's got a very good shot at the hall of fame. Um, he, and, and was very much known as a, as a great like clubhouse guy. 
uh, and team leader on a lot of the teams that he played for, he still felt isolated. And he felt like nobody cared about his isolation. And he talked, uh, man, this was like probably 06, 07. Um, and basically just expressed it like the lack of black players in the game was getting to the level where it's a crisis. And that was controversial for him to say that then. Yeah. You know, it's kind of weird. You look back 15 years later and like, you know, he's right. It is a crisis. Um, but for him saying that then and for him getting shot down for saying that, that just led him deeper into a place of like, this, this game's, this game's not for me. But, you know, at the same time, like he was extraordinarily good at it and, uh, he had, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on the line, you know, pitching. So, mm-hmm. um, he got through it just fine, but he did feel the sense of like, man, like, you know, uh, the brothers don't even respect me for playing baseball. And then when I'm in the clubhouse, like, even though I'm the man, like, I, I don't feel like I can connect to anyone. Um, so that was an interesting story. And it was an interesting story to me because I was able to follow it in 2008. And, like, the story's really centered around when he got traded in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And Milwaukee just happened to have a team that had, um, you know, a really significant number of, of prominent um, black players. You know, pretty much most of their infield. We're talking the Ricky Weekses and Prince Fielders and um, Tony Gwynn Jr. was on that team. Mike Cameron was the center fielder on that team. Uh, they, they, had a, they had a great core of black players who got along really well together. And, you know, remember when CC came to that team that year, whew, I mean, he just went on. It was the best he, he pitched his entire career. Yeah. And, and you know, the crazy thing was, like, he was a, a free agent to be. That's why Cleveland traded him, because they didn't feel like they were going to be able to re-sign him. And so they trade him, and he got a lot of money um, on the line, Just and all he's got to do is stay healthy, right? Right. And he loved playing with that team, and that team was fighting for a postseason berth. And he went out and he took the ball. Like, he could, you know, he'd take it every fourth day, every third day if he had to, instead of every fifth day. And he just, like, it was the best performance of his career over a three-month stretch. And part of the reason why he was just so on fire and so invested in this team, even though he just got traded to it, was just the camaraderie and just feeling like he belonged to something. It's a totally different feeling for him because uh, of yeah. more black players. Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I was a college kid and a very much a Pirates fan when they fielded nine black players back in 1971. Uh, yeah. So I remember that well. Um, and it's just not being a black guy myself, it's, uh, I'm just wondering, you know, C.C. Sabathia discovers that after he's already been in baseball. Do the young black kids who are now you know, discovering how what kind of an athlete they are, are they aware of C.C. Sabathia's story, and does that make them stay away from baseball? I mean, is it a chicken or the egg kind of a thing, you know? Well, I mean, um, you know, I, I mean, it's it's a little bit of both. Like, you know, yeah, sometimes you do worry, like, if someone is speaking the real like that, that that's just going to scare even more players away. But I think that's not a message so much to the black community as much as it's a message to everyone else, like, put some value in this. Remember that this is a game that uh, is not as cheap to play as just going out and getting the football and going to a, you know, a public open play field 
or even getting a basketball and like going out to a to a court. Yeah, you need four uh, guys and a and, ball. You can play. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You don't even need that many. You know, yeah. with baseball, like it's, it's it's different, and there's there's a there's a real discipline to it, and a, a real struggle. Like you got to really struggle and really grind and really love it, and that's a different effort to attract. And I think that's kind of his thing. It's just um, really speaking to everyone else, saying like, there's a lot of black talent that I see, and a lot of guys that if you could get them into the game, it could make the game better. Mm-hmm. And I think about it a lot, the way I think about like globalization and basketball right? and how good that's been for the game of basketball. And, um, just how, you know, whether it be, um, in Asia or in Africa, um, how they're just constantly investing in trying to find that talent. I remember the Toronto Raptors general manager, uh, Masai Ujiri, uh, once said, I mean, he's big into NBA Africa and those pursuits. Um, and he, he once said, I, I, I think that on the continent of Africa, there are 10 Joel Embiid's walking around potentially. <laughs> hey, we like, like if you want to build great teams and you want to have great talent and sustain this league, why would you not be looking if there's 10 of those? Because I tell you what, like, we got a great American basketball system here. There are not, we've got a lot of great players. There are not 10 Joel Embiid's um, walking in North America. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, just, there aren't. So, uh, I think it's the same thing with baseball. Like, there are, there are more Ken Griffey Juniors and CC Sabathias and um, has great, as great as some of those names are, you know, even Willie Mays and such, there, there are more guys, you know, there's, there's more Ozzie Smiths and, um, Barry Larkins and oh yeah, uh, all of these kind of guys. And like, if you don't invest in them, like it's really hurting you. And like, when we start talking about a game that like, they keep talking about the game is too slow. And like all that you ever see in baseball right. is like, you know, it's a, it's a hit or a strikeout. And, yeah blah, 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 like maybe there's some guys out there that, that could add a little flair yeah. to the game. Hey, Jerry, I'm, I'm out of time. I could talk to you a lot longer, but I'm up against a hard break. I got to go. I really appreciate you coming on. You can find the piece at thewashingtonpost.com. It's called The Nine. Great job on the piece. Very interesting. Thanks, Jerry. All right, take it easy. Okay, we'll be back. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life, and he didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft, breathable, but extremely durable, and Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors, and Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. For a limited time, you'll get 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets. You'll receive a set for as low as $49.99. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code STAG. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-716-8087. Use the promo code STAG. Go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code STAG. Stag. This is the John Stacker Walt Show on AM twelve fifty and FM ninety two point five. The answer.
Well, you know, we have our own problems with COVID-19 in our country, but conditions are much worse in other parts of the world, specifically Latin America and the Caribbean. Kids are going hungry. And that's where food for the poor comes in and where you can make an immediate impact. Anitra Parmalee of Food for the Poor joins us now. Anitra, I want you to start, if you would, with telling us who Doña Amanda is. Somebody who is on the other side of your generous gift. When you go to theanswerpgh.com, click on that red food banner and give a gift of $37. You are rescuing a child, providing two meals a day. John, I'm going to say that again because it's kind of extraordinary. Two meals a day for six months with your gift of $37. Doña Amanda lives in Nicaragua, and she has taken over the care of her children because of a tragedy that hit her family. She works at the local landfill, and to be honest, that is just a pleasant word for the dump. She is scrabbling for anything to feed her grandchildren. You change that despair, that darkness into hope and light when you give a gift. You give Doña Amanda peace and joy and a replacement for the fear for the future with your gift. $37 will feed one of her grandchildren for the next six months. John, that's until February of 2022. If you want to just make a note on your online calendar, how much good you're doing with your gift of $37. Yeah, and uh, she's got five kids she's taking care of, so $185 will feed those five kids for six months. Kind of incredible, huh? That we can we can make a gift that's equivalent to a couple pennies a day. But literally, $37 provides six months of life-saving food. These are families, our team went into a, a shack. It was a, a home, but, you know, it was about the size of the shed maybe that you have in your garden. And there was a mother there with two young children maybe. One, seven, one, nine, two little boys. And one was eating a handful of rice and the other one just kept staring at him. And through the interpreter, we asked, why aren't you eating? And the little boy replied, it's not my day to eat. Oh, boy. That is how severe the food shortage is in these countries where we serve. Honduras, enduring two devastating hurricanes. We met Maria, and I saw visually the definition of shell-shocked. She had to escape the rising waters, leaving whatever small items she had for life behind. She grabbed her son. They managed to escape with their lives only to fear that because of a lack of food, an inability to go to the three jobs that she had that got her a couple dollars a day because of COVID and quarantine, she doesn't know where she's going to get food for tomorrow. You answer that with your gift, $37, providing six months of life-saving food to a child like Maria's. When you go to theanswerpgh.com, just click on that red Give Food banner. And my question is, how many children can you rescue right now? Give us an idea of of the kind of food that Food for the Poor will be uh, distributing to these kids and how you get it to them. 
Well, the food baskets include all the non-perishable. So it's beans and rice, corn or corn flour, uh, cereal that's been fortified, sugar, cooking oil, even some hygienic items like soap and chlorine and a, a pamphlet on COVID-19 preventative measures because so many of these people are, are isolated. They don't know what's going on. And John, we work with ministries on the ground, pastors and, and missionaries on the ground in these communities who are able to to geometrically increase our impact. So as unique as the situation is to a community, to a country, that's how unique their delivery is. Because obviously we're not able to do the mass feeding programs that we're accustomed to. So pastors are throwing food baskets in the back of their pickups. They're they're filling kayaks with food baskets and floating into flooded areas that have been out of reach. They're using burrows and four-wheel drives. But rest assured, our community partners are committed to taking your generous gift, translating it into life-saving food, and then getting it to those most in need. Yeah, and that's the thing about uh, food for the poor, that when people give, they can be confident that the money they give is going directly to the people they're giving it to. Uh, and it's going to turn into food for them. You are exactly right. We take it so seriously. Our integrity is without question. You can always head over to foodforthepoor.org, get any of your questions answered. But let me tell you, I have stood in front of mothers who have expressed with tears flowing down their face the difference that a gift like yours has made. I've been a part of a food distribution. I've been a part of areas that intervene with mothers whose children are on the edge because of malnutrition. I have seen the results of gifts like yours. And I can attest with everything that's within me that your gift is getting to the people that need it most and it is making a lifetime of difference for them. Imagine who will the children you rescue become? Are they community leaders? Are they pastors? Are they fathers and mothers? That is yet to unfold as part of the story on the other end of your gift. When you head over to the answer, pgh.com, and make your gift by clicking the Give Food banner right there. Again, the numbers are easy. $37 provides six months of life-saving food for a child. How many children can you rescue? Yeah, and uh, I'll give you the other ones real quick. $185 for five kids, $370 will feed 10 kids for six months. And they will get the food if you give the money. So, uh, Anitra, I really appreciate you being with us, and good luck with the campaign this year. Oh, well, thank you so much for your Anit- partnership. Anit- You're changing the world. Anitra, one more time with the phone number and the website. 866-922-HOPE. So it's 866-922-4673. Or you can always head over to theanswerpgh.com and just click on that red Give Food banner and change the life of a child. Anitra, thank you. Good luck. Got about a minute left here. just want to mention that Joe Biden uh, is now out there saying that uh, he's going to come after the people uh, who are running school districts not forcing kids to wear masks. Uh, And he said, this is not about politics. Uh, It's about keeping our children safe. It's about taking on the virus together, united. I made it clear that I'll stand with those who are trying to do the right thing. Again, I'll ask the question, safe from what? 
They're kids. They don't get extremely sick. They have a better chance of dying on their way to school in a car accident than they do of dying from COVID, and it's not even close, the odds. So that's where we are with that. Good show today. Glad you listened, and I'm hope, uh, hoping you're back tomorrow. I'll see you then. Bye. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.